Welcome everyone and welcome to iDeveloper Live episode 59, your weekly, well weekly-ish depending if we can actually get the show out the door, magazine show for developers, iOS developers and OS X developers. Ah, This is episode 59 brought to you today by three sponsors today, um, a new one, Bromium, and then there's Invasive Code and then uh, there is Rem Objects and we'll tell you all about those uh, a little bit later on. Um, uh, two guests for me today, um, Chris Hardy and Nick Wise. Hi gentlemen. Hi, Scotty. Okay, so um, I'm going to leave you guys to just introduce who you are, because then it means I don't get it wrong. So let's let's start with uh, Nick. Um, yeah, I'm a um, IT contractor. I live down in London, um, and I write apps um, under the company of Big Ted. Um, so I've got a few apps in the App Store. Um, yeah, that's pretty much most about me. It's relevant. Um, I'm Chris Hardy. Um, I I do a lot of contracting work, and I uh, do most of my work for Xamarin, uh, who build the Monotouch product. Um, and I'm an iOS developer and a, an Android developer and a Windows Phone developer and kind of anything mobile. Okay, well, I guess I'm I'm going to need to warn you guys that um you know we're dealing about some alternative technologies today, and and we love to do that on the show. Um, but it's not always an easy ride. You know, we, we, you have to say the iOS community is definitely an Objective-C cocoa community and it, and it gets, can get a bit riled when we hear about anything else. So I just, you need to brace yourself and just uh, hope that they're gentle with you. Um, no John today. He's, uh, he's in the air. He's on a flight uh, on the way back from seeing his family in Italy, flying back to Amsterdam. So we wish John all the best and uh, uh, look forward to him being with us again next week. Um, I've got an awful echo in my ear and it's, I'm hearing myself a few seconds after I speak. So if I sound like I'm getting a little bit like um, uh, mentally deranged, it's because my brain is closing down from confusion. Ah, so what's been going on this week? Uh, um, um, iOS 6 beta 3, which obviously we can't talk about because it's under NDA. Is there anything we can talk about? I guess a few people have been tweeting that um, uh, their devices seem a bit more stable. That's just repeating what others say, so I guess we're safe there. Um, any other news this week? Anybody in the chat room? Uh, welcome, chat room, by the way. Just want to say hi to the chat room uh, as well. Um, Nick, Chris, any news this week that you can think of that's been released that we should be talking about? I think iOS iOS 6 Beta 3 is the, the big thing this week. I think it's only been a, a week or two since Beta 2 and, and Beta 1, so they're getting them out pretty quickly. So yeah, I see they seem to be on, yeah, yeah. So we hear they seem to be on a um, about a two week release cycle, which is quite nice. So, and you know, it gives you a predictable time to think about, you know, when you kind of need to look for new upgrades. Yeah, I mean, I was having a discussion at lunch today, um, you know, about when iOS six was coming out, and yeah, you know, Apple must be going to release some new hardware sometime around September October for for Christmas. Um, you know, even if that's just new iPod touches or something, or it might be the iPhone five, we don't really know yet. But you know, I I, I can only see that if they can release new devices, and iOS six can it's going to need to be on those devices. Do you think? Definitely, yeah. I, I'm I'm guessing around kind of October time. They say fall, so I'm saying October for the new hardware and iOS six getting officially released. Yeah, I mean, I think it's got to be, um, apologies for the Skype noise going on. I've got a new installer Skype and I've not turned the sounds off. I'll try and deal with that in a minute. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I can't see Apple not releasing something in time for Christmas sales, which means it's got to be late September, October at the latest. Yeah, I think my money would probably be more on, on the end of September rather than October. I think 
the iPhone 4S one was just late because of you know sort of last minute things that they didn't fix. Um, whereas I, you know, I, I think all the indications before that seemed to be that they were going for the end of September, which I think ties in nicely with the end of their financial year or you know quarter or something like that. So that would be where my money would be. Great. And um, Mountain Lion went to um, Goldmaster this week, or was it last week? Last week. I, I lose totally lose track of time, um, which I guess is pretty um, expected, considering they said it's a July release date. Do you think we're going for a normal Apple end of July? Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting around the 25th for, for Mountain Lion release, officially. Around the 25th. What sort of time do you reckon? <laughs> Midday-ish, yeah. Nine o'clock. <laughs> Nine o'clock. EDT. Six, six in the morning. EDT. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there we are. Um, okay, guys. I don't know how much you, you know, you, you. I mean, your iOS developers on the whole. So I don't know how much uh, OS ten excites you or doesn't excite you. But um, do you think there's going to be much buzz around the Mountain Lion release, or do you think this is all going to be a fairly, fairly quiet thing? Um, I think it's going to be fairly quiet. Yeah, um, I agree. I. I I think the APIs and the bits and pieces that are in there are quite nice, um, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking iOS, um, iOS is sorry, um, iOS 10 is sort of almost ramped down and it, it's almost in sort of maintenance phase nearly. You know, they are adding new stuff and there's all the new sort of UI stuff, but compared to the number of people who aren't Mac users who have iPhones and care about or iOS devices in general and care about it. You know, I think there's there's now such a massive gap between the two. Um, you know, that said, I'll still probably get it down in the first couple of weeks. You know, once I've got some spare time to actually install it, when I don't have to get an app out or something. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know if it quite has the buzz. And 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 I'm still kind of I, I'm not excited by the the Mac App Store at all. I, it, it's kind of it's been live and you know people release their apps through it, but it hasn't seemed to have that kind of excitement that you get from the normal uh, iOS app stores. Um, still, I'm still waiting that, for that to kind of really kick off and having lots of apps go up there and lots of people kind of new uh, innovative apps. And it's, I guess it's just not happening. I, I find it easier just to go to the website and download an app if I need it rather than to search for the Mac app store. Yeah, I guess um, just looking at that, though, you know, we have to wonder you know, how long that will happen. There are now already two or three major APIs that you can't get to unless you're in the Mac App Store. So be interesting to see how long that one will last. I think you're talking about um, Mountain Lion being in maintenance mode. I think, you know, iOS 6 is pretty close to that as well. I mean, just looking, if you look at the um, announcements that came out at WWDC about um, iOS 6, just talking from the keynote, which was public, so we can, um, you know, we're allowed to talk about that. I, you know, I think it's fairly safe to say that there wasn't a huge amount revealed from behind the scenes afterwards either. You know, this is really, you know, it's a small evolution, just a bit, you know, a, a bit of uh, um, a few extra features in there. So, so again, I mean, I think the whole things are in maintenance mode now. Yeah, I'm sort of almost wondering if they're going into the, the Intel style TikTok sort of releases. So they sort of do one release that's in maintenance mode. Um, and then the next one is, you know, the big hit with all the new APIs. Because um, Lion seemed to come out with a lot of new stuff. Mountain Lion didn't, may not really. I don't know. There's still a fair bit of stuff in it, but not as you know, not in the same volume, and hopefully with a lot more stability. Same as Leopard to Snow Leopard. Yeah, that's true. Although Snow Leopard was a huge change under the hood, wasn't it? Which um, yeah, we don't we're not seeing with Mountain Lion in the same way. Anyway, it's gonna be interesting to see uh, another. I mean, it's um, was it nineteen dollars they announced in Mountain Lion? 
Yeah, yeah some, somewhere around cheap. there. Yeah, so I mean, but but still, uh, the thing is, it's just again having a discussion again at um at lunchtime. Um, you know, I think that the vast majority of Mac users never buy another app other than what's on there when they start. Um, and they probably never upgrade their machine either. And it's not to do with cost. It's just that I've bought a computer and I turn it on and, you know, what else do you expect of me? Yeah, it's true. It's true. So, um, anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Right. Okay. So, um, this week we announced NS Conference Mini, 17th of September in Leicester. Yes, Leicester. Don't ask me why Leicester. Leicester just felt like a good place. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think that's the first time that has ever been said in a sentence, isn't it? Um, okay, but I uh, found a great venue for it, Athena. Now, we're doing um, um, a one-day conference, um, and it's uh, it's called Developer versus Designer, or Designer versus Developer. I can't remember which way around it is. Now, um, we announced this just uh, towards the end of last week, or well, maybe a week ago, I can't remember now. Um and it's been quite interesting just speaking to people that people say, oh, it's about design. I don't need to know about design. So I just wanted to clear a few things up, really. That it, it, Yeah, the focus of this this one day is, is about design, but it's about design from the developer's point of view. You know, this isn't um, a case of some guys standing on stage and complaining about the wrinkled curtains and how crap we all are at developers is uh, of, um, you know, putting uh, putting UIs together because that's, you know, that's... Yeah, that's a bit old hat now, and we don't need to hear it. We know we're crap at putting UIs together as developers. Um, But equally, you know, it's not about training us to be designers because we're not supposed to be designers. We're we're developers. However, the whole process of design and development, I don't think we we, we fully understand yet. You know, we maybe see it as something that's done up front or something that's done at the end when you make things pretty. Whereas actually design and development intertwined for the whole process and, you know, we as developers need to understand certain things that designers are saying to us, and designers need to understand certain things that um, we're saying. And equally, you know, we need to structure our applications in a way that we can integrate the design process from you know from the beginning, um, you know, to the end of you know, the development cycle to the end, and you know, to structure our code well, to know how to 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 process the ideas that we have, and what's a good idea, what's a bad idea. So, you know, the folks of the day, we got five talks. Uh, just dealing with different things like brainstorming ideas, uh, thinking about our interfaces, you know, about you know removing buttons and adding gestures, just looking at the whole process from idea to completion and, you know, how the two intertwine or uh, looking at how we can structure our code and our libraries to allow complete flexibility for changes we go through. So this, although the day is about design, but it's it's about how we as developers work in that environment and, and make it work as opposed to how to draw pretty pictures and use Photoshop. So um, if you've not checked it out yet, please do. It's um, uh, on iDeveloper TV, um, and it's if you go to the uh, slash NS conference, you'll see the dates and just press details, and it's it's in there. Um, and, and check us out. It's 149 quid, um, which uh, uh, is great value. We've got all, all speakers we're flying in from all over the world. And um, if you're a student, there's some tickets available for um, £82.50, I think it is. All of those are plus fat, unfortunately, because that's what the UK government insists we have to pay. But uh, go check it out. Right, okay, um, before we go on, I'd like to introduce a new sponsor, Bromium. Now, sponsor with a bit of a difference. I don't think we've ever done this before. Um, They're looking to hire some of you guys out there. Um, Bromium are a startup company based in both the UK and the US, and um, they're working at making computers more trustworthy and secure. Uh, Bromium have developed a, a revolutionary application of hardware visualization called uh, micro visualization 
that uh, granularly isolates tasks from one another within the operating system, uh, thereby protecting sensitive assets and data without interfering with the user experience. Um, as we've seen late with OS ten, you know, it can be just as vulnerable to attack as Windows and Bromium. You want to make it a thing of the past, um, but to do that, they need great developers, and that's why they're sponsoring the show today. Because uh, a developer at Bromium touches all parts of the system. This is what they're telling me now. A developer at Bromium touches all parts of the system: the kernel, low-level Carbon APIs, WebKit, while at the same time building Objective C apps to pull everything together and create a seamless user experience. In other words, if you're the kind of person that Reads the Mac OS X internals book cover to cover. This is probably just the job for you. Now, I know there are some of you guys out there who do read that book from cover to cover. Um, <laughs> so this is the job just for you. Um, and I know there's some of you that don't, and this isn't the job for you. Okay, so if you want to sink your teeth into a challenging but interesting problems and join uh, Bromium's Mac team based in Cambridge in the UK, then head over to bromium.com and click on their careers tab. Now, I'm not sure whether... um job sponsorship is, is is a good way to go or not we thought we'd try it the guys seemed really great and really nice so go check them out bromium.com um look at the job spec that's uh, go click on careers look at the job spec and we want to thank them for sponsoring the show oh right here we go let's get into our uh, feature segment which is where we still haven't got a tune bit and john's not here so i'm gonna have to do it myself feature segment <laughs> I never told you that this was any, any sensible, did I, guys, at all? Right. <laughs> okay. no, I've been listening to long enough to know what to expect. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, actually, I've just realised we've been talking to Simon in the chat room, and if you know this, you can join me because John's not here. Uh, let's say hello to Simon Wolf. Oh, I love it when the guests join in. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay, right. Um, our subject today, monotouch. Um uh, okay, you may or you may not have heard of this. So um, now I haven't worked out which one of you wants to answer what questions or whatever. So, um, you know, I, I'm going to leave you to fight it out. Now, we're, we're all in different places, so hopefully we won't overtalk each other too much. But I guess the obvious question we've got to start with is, you know, what is Monotouch and where did it come from? Do you want to answer that, Nick? Um, I think you've been working with Xamarin for a bit longer, <laughs> so... I, I'll go for it. Quite literally. Um, yeah, so really what uh, Monotouch is, it's, it's similar to RubyMotion, which I know you guys had um, the guy on your show a few weeks back. And really what it allows is for um, developers who enjoy using C Sharp to develop um, iOS, Android applications as well, um, using using Monotouch and Mono for Android. So it's a way of, if, you're, if you've got C Sharp skills, then it's a way of being able to... Um, reuse that existing knowledge as well as learn a whole bunch of new stuff um, on the iOS side and kind of create applications just as you would if you were a normal kind of Objective-C or iOS developer. Okay, so I mean, um, yeah, uh, I'm going to sort of break through it, you know, so why, give me the first big reason why I should be even interested. So I, I presume you're an Objective-C developer. Yep. Um, you have a bunch of uh, iOS apps in the in the App Store, and suddenly, you know, a lot of them are getting popular, and you, you start having these Android people go, hey, we'd really like to see your app on, on Android as well. And, and that's where it starts kind of getting interesting from that point of view is because if you have a lot of kind of business logic code or um, code that doesn't really touch the UI, you can reuse all of that code on iOS and on Android. And then you can also do Windows Phone as well, which is obviously 
a little bit further off into the distance. But um, from from an object to see developer's point of view, um, being able to have that code reuse is is probably the biggest the biggest sell for um, if you're an object to see person. Um, if you're not an object to see person, then really uh, a big part of this is that you know you're familiar with C sharp and um, you don't even have to think about doing any kind of cross-platform uh, code or anything. You just build an iOS application and you're familiar with that language. So really, it's it's for an object to see person. It's the the way that you can take your code cross-platform and you have to write it once and then do the UI on on different platforms. Um, or if you if you're used to doing either .NET or C sharp, then the familiarity with that language. Um, and the way things work there is is also a big advantage. So let me make sure I can clarify this then. So if you are someone who is currently has .NET skills and you're looking to um, leverage or leverage, depending on which part of the Atlantic you are, um, or which side of the Atlantic, not which part of the Atlantic, because I suggest you're in the middle, um, uh, you are then, then this is maybe a way. I mean, I could see maybe... Um, you're an in-house development team and you you know you write all your in-house stuff in in .net and now the executive team or the sales team have all got iPhones or iPads and you need to write stuff for them great way to use the same sort of libraries and whatever else um or if you're looking to go multi-platform um android windows phone ios um because you've got mono um then this is something that you should really you know maybe take a look at Whereas if you are an Objective-C developer who has no intention to do anything other than iOS, then you, know, you probably don't need to look at this. Is that, is that a reasonable statement? Yep, I, I, would, I would say so. Um, I don't know if Nick wants to kind of add on to this, but I would say that, yeah, if, you, if you're an Objective-C person and, and you're happy doing Objective-C then, um, and you don't want to look at doing Android development or Windows Phone development, then you can stick with Objective-C and, and be happy in that space. Yeah, I think about the only thing I'd add to that is that if you're already going cross-platform, so or you know, or you want to go cross-platform, um, it does also enable you to use um, to do it on the Mac and on Windows as well. Um, so there's obviously the .NET framework on Windows because that's where it started, um, but there's also Mono Mac as well, which is the same general idea as um, as Mono Touch, um, but with bindings to Cocoa rather than to Cocoa Touch. Um, so that sort of would allow you to, to share your code across pretty much all. The major platforms okay so let's let's dig into this a little bit Tenecum. i mean how, how does this thing work under the hood what is it we're actually doing <coughs> here um so basically what happens is you have a you you, you build your application using c sharp and dot net um, all that code then gets compiled down into native arm um, and then when you run your application it's just running arm code like the objective c side would um, where you have things such as UI buttons or you, you're touching any of the um, iOS APIs, um, there's Objective-C uh, wrappers that call into the Objective-C um, and does whatever it needs to do there. If you're using just kind of .NET code, um, then it just uses it just runs the code through the Mono framework that's running inside of your application, um, and and that's kind of it from a, a kind of simple view. You you, you code all in C sharp. Um, you you compile and you you build your application. It creates a .app file. Um, it's no different to if you were doing a, an Objective C application in that sense. Um, and you you have uh, zip files that you can have, so you can use storyboarding or you can use uh, just normal zip files that um, 
you can add, add into your application and, and you can reuse those if, you, if you're familiar with those from Objective-C. Or again, you can do everything kind of programmatically with C-sharp if, if you want to avoid ZIV files and storyboard files. I think that's <clears throat> sorry. one of the main things that, that people sort of scream at when you mention the word cross-platform um, is that you're still using UI button you know, or UI scroll view or any of the other things um, that a normal Cocoa Touch person would use. Um, so it's not that there is a, an area of the screen that is simulating the drawing of a UI button. It's actually a UI button on the screen and it's sending messages in the same way that you would with Objective-C. It just goes through, um, you know, because C-sharp is, a, is a, dynamic, uh, sorry, a static language, whereas Objective-C is mostly dynamic. Um, it has a slightly different way of passing messages, but you know, once you sort of get about one step down into the I'm going from a method call to a message pass, then you're pretty much sending the same messages to the same objects and getting the same results. Uh, okay, that raises a whole bunch of questions for me. Um, uh, the, first, the first one is, okay, so MonoTouch, as you said, is based on the Mono platform, um, which is a basically a cross-platform clone of the .NET framework and C-sharp compilers and, and all the rest of that. Um, okay, so... Um, and as far as I'm aware, that would normally use a, um, a you know, sort of a cloned version of the WinForms library from, from .NET, which obviously is inappropriate for iPhone and, and, and whatever else. So if the, if the MonoTouch guys built a whole layer on top of Mono to, to, to deal with the UI, because you say it's actually using a UI button. So is this now sort of breaking away from um, Mono as it, as it was and doing something special on top? Or, or how, how is that stuff working? Um, it's <clears throat> sorry. It's and if I'm getting this totally wrong and screwed up, then just tell me that I'm being stupid. No, it works this way. Um, no, not well. Sort of. Yeah. There's actually no WinForms whatsoever in it. Um, so all of those bits, I'm not sure if they were ever com completely ported to Mono or not. Um, Chris might be able to correct me on that because I think he's been using it inside it more than I have. Um, but it, it's more the non-visual parts of the framework that have been reused. So the compilers. Um, you know, all the things like generic lists and um, link, which is quite a nice um, sort of object querying language. Um, things like that, rather than the UI sort of front-end stuff that WinForms would have brought. Um, Mono also has bindings for GDK Plus or GDK Sharp, I think, um, as well, and a few other ones. So there's all sorts of different, um, you know, libraries that, well, you know, UI libraries that sit on top of it. Yeah, I, I just to kind of go on from that point is... Um... What, when you get the mono framework underneath, what you're getting is is what's known as the base class libraries. Um, so they're common bits of um, code that uh, that's kind of non-UI, as as uh, Nick said. So you have things like something called a web client. So a web client, you have you create a new instance of a web client, and then you can use stuff like download string or download file. Um, and you also can use stuff like system.io.file.path. Um, or dot, um, directory, so that allows you to access the iOS SD, uh, iOS APIs and the iOS file system, but using something that's familiar for .NET developers, uh, whereas something like NS File Manager might just be kind of way over their head. So really you have a lot of kind of non-UI code, as, as uh, Nick mentioned, kind of link and uh, kind of generic list where you can have a type of list Whereas in Objective-C, everything's just an NS array. Um, so you get a lot of kind of benefits there in terms of um, when you get 
a list of subviews, you know they're going to be of a UI view array type. Whereas, again, on the Objective-C side, you have to make sure you cast that back out and things like that. Okay, that that, that sort of makes sense. So um, the guys who have been developing MonoTouch, they, they've then, you know, is it a whole bunch of classes in MonoTouch that actually just map straight to um, the UI button, for example? Is that class actually called UI button in the framework? That's correct, yeah. So you, you, you basically have a bunch of different assemblies that you that you can use. So a lot of them are going to be all starting with system or system.something. Um, but then you also have a, an assembly called MonoTouch. And within that MonoTouch, is everything's bound kind of one-to-one -to, -one to the APIs on iOS side. So you have button, So it's a UI kit button. Um, and then you have the same thing with .uikit.uilabel. Um, but it, that's the same for all the different kind of APIs that are exposed by um, the iOS SDK. So you also have a monotouch.twitter um, kind of API exposed to you in a, in a C-sharp way, but underneath that just calls into Objective-C to call that API. So, so basically, um, what's happened here is, as far as all the foundation, or you know, the equivalent of foundation might be in, under Objective C, is still all familiar to C sharp developers because it's all the sort of system assemblies that will come from <clears throat> .NET, um, and then C sharp wrappers around all of the iOS SDK stuff um, that's specific to iOS, so that you can access it through C sharp in a C sharpy type of way. Correct. Yeah. So, you, I mean, every when you create a new class, you would have it of subclass of UI view controller. Um, you have the view did load methods and the view did unload methods. Um, you have a finish launching method, which is the same as application did finish launching. It's got a nicer name. Um, you have everything that's the, the same from iOS, but in a C sharp way and, and um, in some ways kind of an easier way of um, dealing with things. Uh, one example might be the UI table view. Um, you have the UI table view delegate and the UI table view data source. Um, to make this a little bit easier for C-sharp developers, um, you have a UI table view source, and that just exposes all of the delegate and data source methods that you can override and then program against. Um, there's there's very little differences, um, but that is that is one where it kind of stands out just to make uh, developers' lives a little bit easier when they're when they're dealing with UI table views. So I'm assuming this code that we're talking about now is it becomes. Uh, this area of code that uses this bit of um, monotouch becomes very iOS specific. This won't be cross-platform. This will only work on an iOS device, and and there's another library if you want to do it on Android. So this is this is about having a common set of uh, foundation code, but then having a different library for each of the platforms. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's correct. So um, there's actually a really good example app uh, called uh, it was for the Mobile World Congress application. It's an unofficial application that. Um, some of the developers that Xamarin built. So it was an iOS, an iPad, an Android, and Windows Phone um, application. And um, most of that code um, basically spoke to a database or stored files on a system or made web requests to go and get more data. And that was all code that could be shared. But when it came to actually displaying things, um, there was a lot of code written that was specifically just for um, Kind of list items and and kind of native native uh, nuances with with that platform. 
Okay, so say I'm sat here thinking, yeah, I want to form a new app company and I'd love to do Windows Phone and Android and iOS, so I'm going to invest my invest my time into MonoTouch. Um, what's my development environment going to be? Um, pretty much the same as what you have with Xcode. Um, well, on the on the MonoTouch side of it, anyway. So you still need a Mac. Um, you still need a developer, you know, Apple developer account. Um, you still need Xcode um, because part of the build process still calls into um, GCC or LLVM to to do some of the last linking and you know building binaries and stuff like that. Um, then after that, um, you have MonoDevelop on top, um, which is the Xamarin IDE. Um, which is where you, you do most of your code. Um, and as you're editing stuff in that, um, like say for example, if you want to edit a, a zip, um, you just double click on it and it loads up the appropriate bit in, um, in Xcode, you edit it in there as you would normally and then save it and it goes off and generates the, the little bits of bindings that it needs um, you know, back in, in MonoDevelop. So, so mono, um, MonoDevelop treats Xcode uh, a little bit like Xcode 3 used to treat Interface Builder. It, it's like your UI dev tool and then keeps itself in sync. Yep, and until um, Xcode 4 bought um, Interface Builder inside the, the same window, um, MonoDevelop was actually treating Interface Builder in the same way as well. So it would just shell it to that part of the, the code. Yeah, um, so, um, yeah, and, and basically that's, that's fine for kind of iOS development and uh, for myself, um, you, have, you have Xcode installed, you have MonoTouch and uh, MonoDevelop installed. You can then also install the Android SDK um, and use MonoDevelop to develop Android applications on, on a Mac. Um, then you also want to do Windows Phone, so you need a, a Windows machine to be able to do that. Um, so you can either use MonoDevelop for Android on Windows, or you can use Visual Studio uh, for Android on Windows. And then you then you need Visual Studio and you need Windows for Windows Phone 7 development. Um, so we actually see a lot of people uh, use Bootcamp on their Macs. So when they're when they're doing kind of iOS stuff um, or Android stuff, they they stick on their Mac. But when they need to do Windows Phone stuff, they then either load it up with VM Fusion or or they they natively boot into to Windows as well. So um, that's kind of your normal your normal setup with with trying to do the cross platform route. It's it's one of those kind of uh, difficult situations where. If you do something like PhoneGap, it's as simple as you know recompiling your application, and it works on all these different platforms. Um, because MonoTouch and Mono for Android really are as close to the bone without any compromises for uh, developing applications. You, you need to have that kind of native setup on your machine, and and really kind of dig into how the how the platform works and how you can take full advantage of of all the APIs that are exposed there. But um, being able to reuse code where you can at the same time. Okay, so it's um, I, I do you? I mean, you got you sound like you you do cross platform development. I mean, I I'm always incredibly skeptical that anything works well when it's using cross cross platform sort of basis of doing things. But you you think this tool genuinely offers really decent cross platform uh, capabilities? Yeah, I, I, I think the, the key part of it is that um, because you are ex exposed to the native APIs, you're not limited in the way where, um, so so if you wanted to do uh, something with Android, which 
spoke to the near field communication, you have the access to those APIs um, completely. And you, and you could maybe do that in PhoneGap, but then you need to make sure you have those exposed in a, in a certain way. And um, then you're kind of limiting on kind of the, how the cross-platform stuff works. Um, it's it's an interesting interesting problem, and where we kind of see that monotouch mono for Android fit is that we give you we give you enough kind of um, code that you can share across the platforms, but we're not kind of giving you your kind of write once build build everywhere um, and run everywhere kind of solution because we don't see that as as the best way of developing applications. Um, Right, I guess that's the big difference. You're not saying you can write one app and it will run everywhere, um, and look look crap everywhere and crash everywhere. You're 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 saying we are making it possible for you to share as much code as is sensibly possible between the different platforms. Correct. Yeah, and and kind of go back on what I was saying about the mobile world congress application. Um, I think we we ended up having about fifty or sixty percent code reuse. Um, and then you have you still have thirty to forty percent of platform specific code, um, and and even kind of you start writing more code because you're doing something with iPad development because you need to work with the iPad differently compared to how you would do for an iPhone application because you might need to use a UI split view controller compared to on the iPhone where you just have a table view controller. Um, so it, it, there's definitely different ways you need to think about each individual platform. Um, but that, that that then allows you to um, do unique things. So on Windows Phone, you have the option of pinning tiles onto the home screen, which is a unique feature to Android and and iOS. Um, so what so what you uh, can do is you don't have that kind of limitation of no, you can't access this feature, which is Windows only, because um, it's a Windows only thing. You, you kind of you use as much as you can, but then you also have a lot of code reuse and a lot of time as well. You fix a bug in iOS on one side. If that's in that kind of code reuse kind of pool, then that can go through Android and, and Windows Phone without having kind of to rebuild that code in Java or Objective-C or C-sharp uh, three times, which is definitely a big benefit. Um, I think um, there was sort of one um, sort of example of, of someone who's actually done this in you know very much in the real world. Um, it's an app called um, iCircuit um, at iCircuitApp.com, and he's got it working on um, on the Mac, on Windows Phone 7, on the iPhone and the iPad. It's, sorry, it's a, a circuit emulator, so you drop resistors and buttons, and I have absolutely no idea how those things work, but you know, you drop things that look like the diagrams that you I saw in university, and um, it simulates it, and you get graphed output and all that sort of thing. Um, he did iOS first, I believe. Um, and I think, I'm just looking at, at the side, it got about 70% reuse on iOS. Um, on the Mac and on Windows Phone, he was getting about 80% reuse, so about 20% of it was custom code just for that platform. Um, but the main difference why iOS was so low, you know, it's still you know 70% reuse, but the reason why it was so low, um, according to what he said, is um, that he put a lot more time into the polish on iOS, so the, the number of lines of code of iOS code is a lot higher simply because he'd spent more time on it and polished it more. Um, I also suspect it might also have been because there was both the iPhone and the iPad version, so there's going to be a lot more differences just having more screen space. Okay, so I mean, this all sounds really good. It, it, you know, if if this is something you, you know, if 
if you are seriously considering cross-platform development, this sounds like a very, you know, something you at least should look at really quite seriously. Um, the, this is wrappers around um, iOS libraries. So, okay, we've got iOS 6 coming up very soon. Um, those libraries change. How, how does, you know, how well does MonoTouch keep up with, with library changes? You know, you know, what's the sort of lag like? You know, am I going to be able to immediately target iOS 6 the day it comes out? You know, what's, what should I expect as a developer from that sort of point of view? Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, for iOS 5, um, when it was officially released, not under NDA, um, Monotouch and, and Xamarin released uh, iOS 5 uh, developer guides on kind of how you can use the new Twitter APIs or the face detection APIs. Uh, so that was released, I think it was the day or the day after the iOS 5 official release. Um, there's always kind of this kind of weird kind of barrier between trying to get a release out for kind of the iOS 6 APIs now, um, but also keeping that under wraps for people who aren't under NDA. Um, but previously, it's, it's been um, normally uh, with these sort of releases, it's it's within a week of a new update, there's, there's something that... Uh, updates um, the APIs. Um, Apple released kind of the diff files of what changed from version to version. Um, so really, it's a way. It, basically, the way that uh, Monotouch works is it binds against these APIs. So if there are any APIs, you just change the bindings between them. So really, the the time from um, kind of release from Apple to to actually getting a kind of an alpha release out for Monotouch that supports those bindings is normally within a day or two. It's it's much quicker than what you might expect from um, other kind of platforms. Yeah, I'd so say that's, that's pretty impressive. I wasn't expecting the answer to be that good, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just that um, the, the way that things are just bound and, and because, because Monotouch doesn't stray into that kind of, kind of, we need to have this thing to be cross-platform. So it doesn't have a generic API that works across the different platforms. So I think with things such as Titanium, you have to wait for them to implement things that might be done in a cross-platform way where it makes sense, whereas the other stuff might need to be iOS-specific. Because with Monotouch, you just get every all, all the iOS APIs, you just bind them all and, and, and release them. So you don't need to think about the best way of adding in new functionality or anything like that to, a, to an existing API. Um, another thing in there is that users can actually bind their own, do their own bindings. So whether it's uh, Objective-C library or, um, you know, say, for example, the Drop, um, Dropbox SDK that someone else has released, um, or it's actually part of the, the OS because it's pretty much the same thing anyway, um, you can actually write the bindings yourself, compile it down to a, um, in this case, a you know, monotouch assembly, and then call that. So, for example, Chris had the Twitter APIs in um, iOS 5 running, what was it, within about 24 hours of Apple releasing it? Yeah. Yeah, and and that's and that's the same with as as you said third party libraries. Um, so normally, what you can do is you can take your static compiled library, um, an iOS one, and you can just bind against all the all the information you get from the header file to use Objective C running natively on device. So it's it's the same way that Monotouch works as as how you would do third party bindings as well. That sounds that that sounds. Way cool. Right, we're just going to stop just for a moment to uh, uh, just uh, spend 30 seconds looking at one of our sponsors. Um, uh, I know people don't necessarily like ads, but you know, your sponsors are people who help the show to 
um, to exist. Um, these guys genuinely do support the show. <coughs> Uh, it's not just about, you know, they're trying to, um, you know, make money. Obviously, they are. They're sponsoring. They're trying to get some to do it. But equally, at the same time, you know, they, they work with us because they want this show to exist and they want it to help. So um, a sponsor we've had for a long, long time, Rem Objects. Um, these guys have a product called Data Abstract. Now, to be honest, I could just say for this slot, go and listen to show 58 because we spoke about it for a long time with them. But that really probably wouldn't be the coolest sponsor slot they ever had. So I'm going to say some more. But yeah, uh, Data Abstracts is a framework for building uh, database driven applications using multi tier data access model. Um, for loads of platforms, I mean, we're, we're talking about multi-platform stuff now. Um, I mean, this is uh, about using a, a back-end um, uh, um, uh, set of libraries to do data. Now, I, I'm going to I'm going to actually butt in here because because Data Abstract is available um, in an iOS format and it's available in a .NET format. I, I'm I'm assuming that you guys from MonoTouch could 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 use Data Abstracts in a MonoTouch application. Uh, yeah, I, I would have thought so. It sounds familiar, the name, Remobject. Yeah, yeah they've, to... they've got, I mean, basically, it, it comes as a bunch of .NET assemblies, and it comes as a bunch of um, uh, iOS client libraries. So, yeah, I mean, don't take that as total techly, technically valid, but I can't see any reason why not. Um, just trying to link things together here, you know, trying to get a bit of continuity. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you know, accuracy, no, accuracy, I'm sure that's fine. Um, so, basically, th this is about if you need to deal with data access, um uh, and multi-tier access, and there's loads of reasons why you might want to do data multi-tier, and if you go listen to Show 58, you can do that. Um, now, Data Abstract, the, the iOS side uh, for Xcode, um, allows you to have um, uh, you know proper Cocoa Touch native code uh, to access all this stuff from and, and to use, use Objective-C if you wish to. Obviously, you could use the .NET version of Data Abstract and then create it with something like MonoTouch. Um, there's something called DA-SQL, Data Abstract SQL, which allows you to dynamically query uh, just the data you need, because don't forget, this is all about pulling data in across um, uh, remote places, across the internet. Um, and, you know, this this is a common library between OS X and iOS, so you can really sort of, again, write a common library if you want to. Um, and because it's not been possible to write custom servers on the Mac platform, because let's face it, most servers out there in the world are not Mac, they're, they're going to be Windows or um, uh, uh, Linux servers. Now, they, there is you can write custom servers using .NET and therefore probably integrate with Mono. Um, uh, there's a server explorer and a schema modeler for Mac, which allows you to to build stuff up and then um, host it in what they call relatively relativity server, which is like a, a server that's sort of a black box to do this stuff for the Mac. Anyway, that probably made no sense at all, and that was probably a really crap advert. <laughs> <laughs> but these guys are great. Um, please go listen to Show 58. Go check out remobjects.com. Um, and if you've got anything to do with getting data across the internet and, and briefcasing it and all that sort of stuff, then you owe it to yourself to go check out Data Abstracts. Uh, hopefully I haven't just connected you monotouch guys with something you didn't want to be connected with, but never mind, it's done now. Well, I thought I was going to actually uh, add on to this. I just went on their website, and they do have um, remobjects SDK for .NET which works with Monotouch, Mono for Android, and Windows Phone 7 as well. So um, it is there, it's up on their website, that they, they have support for, for this technology. And, and if you do go on the website and you see it's, it's RemObjects SDK for .NET across Monotouch, Mono for Android, and, and Windows Phone 7, which basically means that they have the same .NET code that they have on, on the three different platforms running um, three different kind of on three different products, which is pretty cool. 
So they're proving your point that all this stuff can work. They are, yes. Now, I love it when we get such synergy. <laughs> it's totally by accident, but I still love it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, okay. I, I'm, I know this interview is like asking lots of questions um, you know, that sound quite challenging in why, why, why? But I, you know, I feel my job is to represent the, uh, the iPhone community and iOS developer community. Um, and I'm sure these are the questions they would ask. Um, okay. Why would I want to use MonoTouch uh, over something like you know, PhoneGap? I'll let you take that one, Chris. Okay, thank you. Um, well, I, I think it's kind of going back to kind of what we were saying a bit earlier with um, because you do have access to the kind of the native APIs um, that run on, on the device. It's, it's basically a no compromise um, solution to uh, the kind of cross-platform debate. And for, for a user, if you're a user of a Monotouch application, you, you don't know that you're using a monotouch application. They look and act exactly the same as a normal iOS or Android application would would run, which is which is definitely the the big benefit from using something compared to something like PhoneGap, where most of the time you can tell that something's not quite right about the application. You're like, well, why is this why is this scroll not you know being very scrolly, or or why is this page taking a bit longer to load up and and normally that's because it's you know it's a UI web uh, web view wrapper, um, whereas with Monotouch it's you know completely um, transparent to the user that they're using a Monotouch application, which is definitely the best place to be compared to um, kind of having to explain if you if you have a solution, someone says, All right, we want a Monotouch app or we want an iOS application, we want an Android application, and then you you go and do a PhoneGap application in two weeks, and they come back and say. This doesn't seem like a an application. This seems more like a a website. Then you, you're probably not going to have very happy clients. So, um, really, Monotouch, Mono for Android offer that kind of solution where you do get the benefit of having cross-platform code, but you also you don't compromise on on kind of the experience that you you give to the end user. Uh, so, I mean, okay, often in um. Uh, so, so we're basically saying because you can t most cross-platform stuff you can tell it's cross-platform because it's using. I mean, like PhoneGap's HTML5 based, isn't it? Um, and, and so you're saying this is native, and actually the user is never going to tell the difference unless they start digging around inside of um, inside of the packages or something where they, I guess there's going to be a bunch of Mono Touch stuff embedded. That's correct. Yeah, um, and the, and you know, I mean, Mono Mono Touch and Mono for Android use Mono under the hood. Um, there's a lot of applications that also use Mono under the hood that aren't Monotouch or Mono for Androids. Uh, for example, Unity 3D. So games written in Unity 3D, they're using uh, Mono code under the hood. It's not a Monotouch app and a slightly different uh, use case because normally with games, you kind of you don't really have any UI. It's all <coughs> kind of um, under the hood, under under like a custom um, UI, but. Um, Mono is a very powerful technology that is is used widely on on mobile devices and um, and it's not just limited to to kind of iOS or uh, Android applications that look and feel native. You can also do them for for other things as well. Okay. Um, all right. We, uh, the other week we had um, Lauren on talking about Ruby Motion and and the argument there was for people who loved Ruby and could use Ruby. And wanted to um, embrace, you know, 
you know, their Ruby skills on the phone, and so they use Ruby Motion. You know, why if I'm starting from scratch, you know, what's your chance to pitch yourself against Ruby Motion? Not that we ever want that sort of fighting, but I'll give you the chance anyway. <laughs> well, I, th- I think it kind of answers itself, really. Do you, do you like Ruby or C Sharp? Um, and most people will probably say Ruby and, and go off and use Ruby Motion. I, th- I think with with Monotouch, if you if you are new to programming, C Sharp's a great language to kind of pick up on and learn from. Um, there's lots of advantages that Ruby has that C Sharp doesn't, and and vice versa. They're, they're two very different kind of uh, platforms. Um, so kind of staying staying on the on the fence there, and I would say you know pick pick what you think's best for you and what works for you. They they are very very similar. Um, and you know I played around with Ruby and I played around with C Sharp and. Monotouch has been around for the last two or three years, so um, it's definitely a lot more mature um, compared to Ruby Motion. But I'm sure Ruby Motion will be just as um, just as kind of impressive when when it kind of gets a little bit bigger as well. I mean, I'm going to say here that um, I mean I spent many years writing in C Sharp, um, and you know I, I didn't leave C Sharp and .NET because C Sharp and .NET were terrible. Um, I I left them because I came to the Mac, which I fell in love with, and then started using the tools that were on the Mac. And I think Objective C and Cocoa are great; they're, they're fantastic as well. Um, but, yeah, but I think this this oh, object, um, C Sharp and .NET sort of uh, they're they're rubbish is just is just not true. Uh, to be well, I keep, um, yeah, I keep seeing um, you know Objective C people popping up, going, "Oh, I just love this new feature that Apple's just added." I think it was. One where you can like <clears throat> initialize an array without actually having to go, you know, add, add, add. And I'm sort of looking at that going, we had that about four years ago, you know, or blocks, I think is another one. Um, you know, it's like, great, cool. Another language has it. That's nice. Yeah. And I mean, I think I have to say the Windows UI experience is terrible and the whole WinForms stuff I didn't, didn't like. But if we're talking about, you know, uh, the design of the frameworks and, and the language, yeah, then that's great. And of course, you guys, I guess, now have the best of both worlds because you get to use the iOS SDK in the way it was designed, as well as getting to use .NET and C Sharp, and you don't have to deal with WinForms, so everybody's happy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, from from my point of view, um, I, I actually was I was kind of grew up on using Linux, so um, .NET was completely not an option unless I wanted to go from the mono side and I didn't really get into using mono so mono basically allows you to use C sharp and and uh, the mono framework on a Mac or on on Linux and there wasn't anything that really caught my attention that really made me want to do kind of any mono stuff at all until you know the mono touch product came out and it was like I've been doing kind of C sharp on Windows doing ASP.NET MVC and and website stuff and then it was like well actually I can stay on my Mac, I can use C Sharp, and I can build iOS applications. This is, you know, it sounds like the best thing in the world. Um, and, you know, I, I played around with Objective-C. Uh, I know enough Objective-C so I can read it. Uh, it helps with kind of documentation and things like that. But uh, when I come to write it, it just kind of goes over my head and I, I get lost. Um, if I actually spent some time kind of getting getting used to it, it probably wouldn't be an issue. But um I, I do enjoy writing C sharp and and using that side of things, and I get to do it all on my Mac. So, uh, yeah, definitely is best of both worlds. Okay, so Monotouch is built on top of Mono, which is an open source um, project, um, source source code available and all that sort of stuff. Um, 
but obviously, you know, Mono Touch and is built on top of this stuff, and Mono Develop is a project around that. So, uh, I mean, it's we keep, uh, you know, these are commercial projects. So, I mean, what sort what sort of pricing are we looking to get into it? What are the licensing? Is it like you're just paying for this, or is it actually a closed product? Do you get source code? How does all that work for people? So for, for MonoDevelop and Mono are open source projects. So MonoDevelop's a, f- a free IDE and it's open source as well. So you can go and you can compile it and run it yourself if you wanted to and, you know, fix things as well. Um, MonoTouch uh, is something you need, do need to buy. Um, it starts off at $399 for a professional license, um, $1,000 for an enterprise license, and that enables you to get a year of updates um, for the product. Um, and then after that, you can renew your, your updates and get another year. But what it doesn't stop you from doing is after a year, you can continue deploying stuff to the App Store if you want to. You just don't get a new version of MonoTouch um, or Mono for Android. So it's, it's $3.99 for MonoTouch and then $3.99 for, uh, for Mono for Android as well. Um, there's also a free version as well that just allows you to deploy into the simulator. Um, so you can't deploy to a device, but you can still... You know, do it as obviously as far as the simulator, and there's nothing really. Well, there's nothing at all that's removed from there. Um, that's correct. Yeah. You know, no, no limitations aside from you can only do it in the simulator, which is, I think, quite good for people learning because they can just download it, they can play with it on their machine for you know get the get Xcode down for absolutely nothing. You know, find that they like it, and then you know start thinking about you know buying an Apple developer license or um, whatever it's called, the developer agreement. Um, and you know, and a copy of MonoTouch and which other, whichever other bits they need. Okay, so what's the difference between a professional and an enterprise license? Uh, that's based on um, ones uh, to a named user. So you only you buy it for yourself. So I purchased a professional license. So I build apps for myself. I release them, and and that's kind of it. The enterprise is is for you know companies that have more than ten employees, um, where you know people and developers move in and out and they can if some developer leaves a project then you can reassign the license to to another developer to use um the enterprise one also allows you to do um sort of enterprise deployments basically so you know apple have that option where you can sign up and say i basically want to be my own app store for my own company um so the enterprise version allows you to deploy things that way not just into the app store right okay so again that's back to my scenario you're a a, a sort of big corporation or biggish company you've got internal uh .net apps and you go for an old you know to deploy ios apps internally and you need the enterprise stuff to to roll all that out properly that's correct yeah okay that sort of that sort of makes sense to me okay i think um um unless i've missed something that um you guys are just sort of aching to tell us which i'm going to give you the opportunity to do in just a moment um i think we're we're, we're sort of um i'm feeling fairly happy i've uh, interrogated you here um, so, I mean, but is there anything else that you really want to tell us? Um, I, I mean, from, from previous experience with, with Monotouch, it's one of the key things is, you know, do, do Apple accept it? And I think one of those things is you never know what Apple are going to do next in terms of accepting, accepting kind of other technologies around iOS development. Um, some of the big things that have come out from, um, from Monotouch is, as as Nick mentioned, um, there was an application called iCircuit. Um, Apple featured that in all of their uh, retail stores, so you can go into the uh, retail store and play around with it on an iPad. Um, Apple have a have a feature on an enterprise uh, solution called Medtronic, 
and that's featured on the Apple website. So um, that's really nice to see that Apple are kind of featuring these monotouch applications. And we don't know whether they know that they're monotouch applications, but at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. It's all about kind of the end user is happy with an, an application that kind of blows them away. Yeah, I think the not being accepted into the App Store, you know, aside from if you call private APIs or, you know, the usual silly things, I think that's kind of gone away with Adobe not really doing Flash stuff for iOS anymore. Because um, I think if Apple really did push and get rid of everything that's not done in Objective-C, I think they'd lose about 75% of the top 100 games. Um, because the number that are done in Unity 3D is just, it's insane. It's, it's literally somewhere around 75% of the top 100. Um, you know, things like, I think one of the temple runs even was done in that. Um, it wasn't the original one, it was the second one that they did. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think for the, the, the case that happened, I think it was last year, or possibly the year before, um, I'm, I'd be very surprised if that would happen again. You know, I think Apple's, Apple's matured enough in how they handle things like that. Um, you know, and the, the sort of perceived threat of, of Adobe's gone. Mostly through Adobe sort of self-imploding almost, but yeah. Well, that's been, uh, I found it really interesting. We've not really had anything from the chat room to today. Um, it's been a very small chat room today, but that might be to do with something where we're an hour later than normal and maybe they were all around an hour ago and not not, not around anymore. Um, I, I don't really know. Um, oh, Simon in the chat room says, thanks, that was interesting stuff, guys. So there we are. You've got some love from the chat room. What more can you want? Um, Perfect. Uh, uh, going to talk about simon a bit actually but i'm just going to need to get in our our, our third sponsor I and mean, we're not three is our maximum number of sponsors and and, and, I, and I think even i'm big maybe even that's maybe you know maybe a little bit much so i'll just keep that under review because i don't want to keep interrupting with it but these guys have supported us since the beginning as well invasive code um uh, they do ios training um if you don't want to do monotouch and you want to go learn well actually you need to understand the ios sdk still to use monotouch don't you You might just do it in a different way um because of um yeah so you know ios uh, sdk training is still important um they say they do a deep and quick understanding of the ios sdk uh, they have an intensive iphone ipad development class which is five days um more than 40 hours uh, and it provides you with a deep and quick understanding of the iphone and ipad sdk uh, it's basic and advanced topics are covered, um, and after the, they say you know after you finish this training, you will be able to develop iPhone and iPad applications. It says with no difficulties on their website, but none of us do it with no difficulties. <laughs> so um, we, we're going to sort of cross that bit out. But it's no difficulties because of them, <laughs> just <Yes. laughs> just your own. <laughs> okay, um, the price of training. You know what I like about these guys is they give you value for money. Um, you know, I, I, I'm going to be blunt here. Some training companies rip you off big time. Um, you know, I, I've been a trainer. I've worked for lots of training companies, not necessarily in the iOS field all the time, but in, in other fields. And, you know, you could turn up to some classes and there's 30 people there and, and you might as well just have, you know, uh, watched a video, um, which would have been a lot cheaper. Hence why we do videos, but you don't get access to the trainer, which is part of the reason you go training. Um, so these guys have a maximum of 10 people in the room when they train, which means you really get genuine access to the person training you and, and can help you out. And when you get stuck, they train you for seven hours a day. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's probably about the maximum a brain can take. But then again, in the evening, you know, uh, the labs are open. So they, 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 the trainers hang around and there's two hours of labs um, in the evening when you can just go in and work on the work you've been doing the day, fix the bits you didn't get going, just hang out with the trainer and get it done. So, I mean, it, it's, you know, that's, that's really cool as well. It um, sounds like a particularly good model. 
Yeah, I, I, I think it's great. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, you get all the, you get the book and you get all the exercises. You get a copy of the slides used during the class. Breakfast, lunch, coffee breaks. Um, you know, it, it, you can go and download a, a whole list of the things that they, um, uh, that they cover. Um, they do require you to have had a little bit of experience of some object-oriented programming, um, which I think is probably a reasonable place to start from. Um, and um, they're offering it in, in multiple continents. What more can you ask? Uh, September 17th in Barcelona in Spain, you can have um, a five-day iOS development training course or on October the 1st in San Francisco. Um, 2,800 euros if you want to go to Barcelona, $2,900 if you want to go to San Francisco. Check it out at training.invasivecode.com and we want to thank them for sponsoring the show and we wish Sheppy all the luck in the world we're getting is um san francisco training you know firing up i think that's the first one they've done in san francisco so that's exciting right thank you very much invasive code they're in the show notes check them out on their website i said we were going to talk a bit more about simon wolf i saw avtag today yes it really does exist I know he's come in and he's done Aftag Diaries and um, he says, basically, I've done three weeks doing nothing, um, <laughs> being a lazy git. But I actually saw Aftag today and I think it was a bit more than just a mock-up. It actually did some stuff and was working and it looked beautiful and I think it's going to be a really exciting product. And he's going to come in in a couple of weeks' time and tell us all about it. He's going to reveal what it does. I mean, this is going to be the biggest software build-up in history. I mean, this is getting close to you know, the launch of the iPhone. I mean, they're going to be queuing outside the iDeveloper Live studios to, to hear what Avtag is doing. Uh, but it was just good to see that Simon had made some progress. So I, I want everyone out there to keep encouraging Simon. Tweet him, S-G-A-W, uh, on, on Twitter and say, come on, Simon, you can do it. Avtag can be great. And um, I'm sure he will appreciate all the distractions that all those Twitter messages will bring as he's trying to develop it. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. Oh, Nick, Chris, it's been great to have you on. Uh, Thank you very much. Really, yeah, en- really enjoyed uh, chatting about it. Um, I'm just going to give you both a chance to uh, tell us about your Twitter handles, your blogs, any other information you want people to go to. We'll make sure it's all in the show notes as well. Um, but just in case people who don't want to go and link to the show notes, they can write it down now or memorize it if they're, they're good at that. So um, let's start with Nick. Um, okay, I blog at fastchicken.co.nz, um, which is also one of those fun previous contracting names, along with uh, Big Ted. Um, and I tweet it um, at fastchicken as well. Um, I'm Chris NTR, so it's NTR, it's a bit of a weird name, uh, on Twitter. Um, I don't really blog on my blog anymore, so probably best place would be to check out the Xamarin blog, which is blog.xamarin.com. Um, that's probably the best place. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on, guys, and, and talking to us about uh, Monotouch. Yeah, I, I appreciate that you know, the vast majority of our audience, I'm going to be blunt here, probably aren't interested. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, our, our job, I think, you know, the job of a magazine show is to is to um, open our eyes to things. And that, you know, that, that if there's you know some people out there who've been thinking, well, actually, how could I take this to Android or whatever else? I think we've done them a service today. Um, so, and yeah, you know, I don't want to get locked down and being so narrow minded. And that's why we look at stuff like this and uh, Ruby Motion a few weeks ago because I think it's uh, it's important as developers to keep ourselves with a broad mind and, and not become too too bigoted in our attitude towards our tool sets. Right, chat room, thank you very much for those um, 
hearty few who have stuck with us and uh, stayed here and asked absolutely zero questions. We do, <laughs> we do appreciate that your commitment to the show. In fact, you couldn't even be bothered to talk to each other today. You just hung out in the chat room <laughs> that you were there. Or maybe you've just logged into IRC and you're pretending that you're there and you're not even there at all. But we, we don't mind because we love you anyway because you are our faithful. And uh, if you listen to this on the feeds, please come and join us in the chat room one day. All the instructions are on the website, iDeveloperTV slash podcast. Right. My name is Scotty. On Twitter, you can follow me as MacDevNet. You can find out what's going on at iDeveloperTV by following iDeveloperTV. Don't forget to check out NS Conference Mini on the iDeveloperTV website or follow NS Conf on Twitter. There we are. That's enough marketing blurb. This has been iDeveloper Live, episode 59. Thank you for listening. And until next time, you take care.